Okay. All right. I'm going to get started. All right. Welcome back. This is Love Rise 2.0. And I just wanted to send a shout out to everybody. I know we've sent a couple of podcasts out to our community and I've gotten some awesome feedback. Fun to hear from you guys again. So it's fun to be back out there. Um, I'm Jenny, Jenny Gessel, and I'm a therapist in training down in Arizona. And I've got my co-host and partner here, Dr. Skinner, who's the director at Addo Recovery. Uh, good to see you again. Thank you. And then we've got a, a guest today that um, I spoke to a little bit on the phone, but I didn't want to get into all the details because it was so exciting. I wanted to make sure we caught it all on the podcast today. Uh, it's Karen Strange. And um, say hi, Karen. You can say hi to our Hi, everyone. Here. Yes, it's nice to be with you all today. Thank you. Um, Karen comes to us from, is it North Carolina? Well, my home is in North Carolina. My practice is in the upstate of South Carolina. Okay. I live right on the border. Right on the border there. She's a Carolina girl. That's right. Yeah. Well, she comes to us and she is um, a sex addiction therapist, a CSAP, and then also a sex therapist which I think is a very fascinating combination. Um, so we'll kind of get into what that's about. I think, you know, you guys are going to be very interested in what she has to say, because is this not the question we all have? But what about the intimacy? What about the sex? Can we get past it? Can we feel good again in our relationships this way? So I think Karen has a lot to share today. Um, and so Karen, I just kind of wanted to start out. Um, why don't you let us know a little bit about what it is you do? and um and how you do it sure um first of all i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and i became a sex therapist first and because of that credential a lot of people started coming to my door with the addiction piece and i mm -hmm. knew that there was a, a gold standard in that and so then i became a certified sex addictions therapist a csat through itap and what i have found is that those two just segue really beautifully together because as we're dealing with the addiction and as we're going through the process of disclosure, the emotional impact letter, the emotional restitution letter, as our couples are working together with um, potentially an EFT therapist, ideally, um, for the couple's piece, what I love to do is circle back around with them and do uh, an intimacy reintegration. So many times the definition of intimacy is... Um, considered a, a synonym to sex. But what I try to help couples do is broaden that definition of intimacy, first of all. And then we walk through, there's three different levels of intimacy that we talk about. And then of course, um, sex is part of that, but it doesn't, it's not exclusively that. And mm -hmm. so we go through all of those steps to help them as they are starting a new chapter in their relationship. Mm. I really love the way that you have framed this. And the thing that feels very safe to me about it is um, there's a lot of prep work. Absolutely. Yes. You know, but this is not it, something we dive into quickly. Because mm -hmm. I think when it comes to our bodies, sharing our bodies, intimacy and touch, it's very vulnerable. It's very mm -hmm. scary, especially after the kind of ruptures that we're talking about with betrayal. Absolutely. And that is at the core of who someone is. And so we want to make sure that lots of things have been put in place so that not only do they know the truth, but they've established safety, that there's trust on board, that they have the um, 
have the sense that they can be vulnerable. And then once those things are in place, then there's space and room for intimacy to start being explored. So when you say that, would you say that the, um, where you say, um, you know, I can be vulnerable, that idea of I'm willing to open myself up, is that the key marker to saying, okay, I want to move forward with this intimacy recreation? Well, I think it's certainly probably multifaceted, but I do for sure think that that's a part of it as well. For them to be willing to, to know that they are safe, that they've both done enough individual work, that they can take that next step. All right, so safety, individual work, and the willingness to be vulnerable. Correct. And, and the foundational piece that they have the truth. And that's usually established through that disclosure process and that whole uh, disclosure, emotional impact letter, emotional restitution letter. And then there's always a part after the emotional restitution letter that I feel like sometimes we neglect. I think Dr. Ken Adams talks about that there's some space there for the partner to be able to process the, the trauma that he or she has experienced. And I like to use that window to either do accelerated resolution therapy with that client or um, EMDR, either one, to help shift those trauma memories out of that amygdala to long-term processing where they know it happened, but they don't necessarily have the physiological response when they think about it. Okay, so I love this. And Dr. Skinner, it sounds like you have something you wanted to say here, but I, I kind of wanted to recap what Karen just said quickly, if yeah, that's okay. Do. Yeah. Um, basically, it sounds like, you know, we do a lot of this prep work, we create this safety, um, and then we have this window of time. And this, during this window of time, we're really processing everything that's happened, everything that's fallen into our lap, beginning to feel okay with things, beginning to feel like we can be a whole person, move forward, be open. I love it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Doc, what, what do you want to add there? You know, I think this topic is really essential because many of uh, the clients that I've worked with, one of the most common things that I get as they start working through their stuff is, what about our sex life? Right, and, and I love the way Karen's playing this. She's using the term intimacy, which is much more uh, appropriate and broad than just sex, which, which I think is essential for all of us to consider because intimacy is, is, is beautiful when it's understood. Sex is sex is sex, but intimacy is a deeper and profound thing. I find that what we long for is that human intimacy. Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's innate, we long for that. And, and so that's one of the parts of betrayal that we don't talk about is what happens to this intimacy or the sexual intimacy of the betrayed. It's not like their sex drive just disappears, sometimes maybe, but, but they're too, they are also sexual beings. And so part of the trauma is now what do they do with their sexuality? And mm. anyway, so-, so Those are so, very, yeah, very real questions for mm -hmm. somebody. Right. I think that's important to, to consider as we move in the conversation and also in the recovery and healing process. And along the lines of what Dr. Skinner is talking about, a lot of times with um, sexual betrayal or when there's some kind of sexual addiction in place, 
we will actually talk with the, the person who has the problematic behavior and we'll take sex off the table for a while. Now there's nothing magic about that. Um, Patrick Carnes recommends 90 days, but it does give a broad enough period of time for those individuals to begin to recalibrate their life and to be able to see what their life could be gives them the, the time to start connecting with their partner, perhaps in a non-sexual way, like opening the door for him or her, or it would be for him opening the door for her, um, just being, being a gentleman, being kind to one another, because so many times there's been so much tension that it's been impossible for the relationship to even thrive on any level. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, I really like what you brought up there, Karen. The idea of taking sex off the table. This is a question that's um, brought up, but has a lot of controversy around it. So tell me, what, what's your standpoint coming into this with that idea? Well, when I do the um, intimacy reintegration, we do take sex off the table. If they did it in a 90-day thing early on in their recovery, we're going to do it again. And the reason for that is it gives the couples the opportunity to have what I call a corrective experience. So mm -hmm. much of their life or their, their intimate life, their sexual relationship has been damaged. They perhaps may have been coerced by their partner to try or do things that might have been against mm -hmm. their conscience. So they feel betrayed in that way. So we say, okay, we're not going to be having intercourse. And if they do have intercourse, I tell them, I'm not going to show up at your door. There's no, I'm not giving you a ticket or there's nothing like that. Come on, Karen. <laughs> yes. But so, but what I will tell them is what they need to go back and do is do at least two of the prior touching exercises. So they go back and they do that just to remind themselves, this is bigger than intercourse. This is about something so much deeper and richer than they've ever known before. I love what you're touching on here. And I want to dig in a little bit more Two things um, and they're separate. So we'll have to talk about them separately. But one is how do you see our culture impacting couples sexually with their intimacy, their connection? Well, I certainly think that our culture in many ways has hijacked healthy sexuality. Mm -hmm. Sex is used to sell everything from hamburgers, obviously, to erectile dysfunctional drugs, the whole spectrum. And I think that people get the impression that everybody's out there having sex with multiple partners. It's always magnificent and they don't ever recognize what, what I consider to be healthy sex. And that is that in, health, in a healthy sexual relationship, first of all, besides having good communication and having boundaries around your relationship, you have the opportunity to grow together in that. And sometimes sex is just good enough. It's not always the most wonderful experience, but a lot of people have that expectation. And I think a lot of that is because of how the media and, and movies and certainly pornography has made individuals have an unrealistic expectation that no one, no one can fulfill. Mm. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of um, sometimes I'll hear the kind of the analogy of the relationship. So let's say the couple's repairing the relationship and, you know, there's that place where they haven't taken sex off the table. Maybe they're trying to figure things out. Maybe they're in the repair or disclosure or all that kind of stuff. And so often I hear um, 
the betrayed the betrayed person saying, well, I just have sex with my partner so they won't get angry. I just have sex with my partner because they, they want it. And it sh I have one um, client describe it to me just as it just feels like one night stand sex. There's no connection. I'm just doing it to do it. And, you know, kind of talk a little bit about this idea of how we can move past these coping mechanisms of just doing it to do it, or even the idea of shutting it down. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, what do you see in couples when there's been betrayal and how can they move beyond these things? Well, I think what you're saying is very common in a lot of couples. You know, she will just give in because a lot of times she's afraid if she doesn't, he will go act out. And, and what I, that tells me when couples share those types of things with me is there's still a lot of healing work that needs to be done. That is an opportunity for me to start broadening that definition of intimacy. You know, also working with the, the addict and the addict ideally should be working with his or her own therapist. And I'm just going to use the male pronoun if, yeah. if y'all are in agreement with that. We'll just, yeah, we can just use that framework right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and have him be unpacking his arousal template, his expectations, even his communication style. I'm big on educating people on Gottman's four horsemen, criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling and contempt and the antidote to each of those criticism learning to speak from an eye positions the antidote defensiveness the antidote for that is owning my part taking responsibility stonewalling about 30 minutes minimum apart given the autonomic nervous system time to come back online and then for contempt is creating that culture of appreciation within mm -hmm. the relationship within the family and that is cornerstone for them to, to start the healing process. It's so let's just, yeah, this is good. This is, we kind of want to slow this down a little bit and I want to highlight those four things. And so if you're listening, rewind, re-listen. And, you know, I love how Karen says, has described this as this is cornerstone, mm -hmm. meaning we can't really move forward without these four components working well together. Mm -hmm. um, real, real quick on yeah, that, I had two, two pieces of information there. Um, going back to where we started, safety. Being sexual without safety, you're almost always going to feel a disconnected feeling, an internal conflict, because you're actually overriding your biology, mm -hmm. right? If I don't feel safe and I override it and, and am sexual, I'm having to turn down my body's mechanism that says, uh, I don't feel safe. And so when you, when you override that, you create more internalized stress, right? Because we, we function, our social bonding comes when we feel safe. It, it, if it comes any other time, we're overriding our body's natural defense mechanism. And, and, and so those four things, defensiveness, right? Contempt, criticism, and stonewalling that Karen just brought up, those components if they're happening in, in those moments, if you override your sexuality, you're going to feel cheapened. You're going to feel like this experience is, is not a bonding experience. So, so anyway, I, when she says cornerstone, she, there's no other way around it. That's just the way it is. If you don't feel safe and you're sexual, your body's actually having to be overridden by something else inside of you. I like the way you've described that. It's this 
um, override you're talking about, override of my natural system that's telling me, ah, 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 pay attention. And, you know, it's, it ends up kind of feeling like a betrayal of self. And, you know, we reflect on it later. It hurts later. There's damage that goes along with it. So I appreciate that insight there. And, and Any other, let, yeah. let me add one other part, the second part to this. Then you have the individuals who are sexual, wanting to be sexual, and, and they long for it. And so, so then they are sexual, and afterwards they beat themselves up. Mm-hmm. They shame themselves because they had this sexual desire, and they had this urge, and they had sex when in reality they still didn't feel safe but they were they were wanting to be sexual they were wanting that bond and that too can be a for them a shaming experience where they feel like i did something wrong and in situations like that i often tell my clients no you actually did what your body was telling you to do mm-hmm. what and do you make you, of that i'm no, sorry go ahead doc yeah go karen yeah I was just no, going to ask Karen what she makes of. Yeah. Well, I agree. And I think, you know, in this work, there's not a one size fits all, you know, and what one couple and one individual partner in the coupleship may think, you know, everybody's different. And if that's them reaching out for genuine connection with their partner, I'm not going to tell them not to do that. And I think it's, I love what Dr. Skinner just said, you know, to, for them not to shame themselves for that. Yeah, find some compassion there and some grace for self. You know, this kind of brings me to the idea of what you had said earlier, you know, intimacy doesn't mean sex, sexual intercourse always. So let's talk about what intimacy means. And then I know you talked earlier about um, touching exercises. So I just wanted to offer an opportunity to share a little more about that. Sure. So when I think of intimacy, one of my favorite definitions of it is that if you break it down into syllables, it means intimacy. And so part of that is that, first of all, I have to know myself. And so many of us walk around and we don't even know who we are. And we want our partner to know him or herself. And so I think in the individual work that we do with clients, that gives us the opportunity to help them dig deeper, to help them heal old trauma wounds, to help them know themselves, to help them look at generational patterns that have been established in their family line and and break off things that aren't effective anymore. And then once, as they start knowing themselves, then they feel like they can share themselves with someone else. But here's the thing, this is not something that you ever arrive at. This is a lifelong process of growth and learning. And so when I'm working with couples with intimacy, I love Doug Rosenau's book called Total Intimacy, Learning to Love by Color. And he chooses three colors, green. And green is very much a friendship type of intimacy. And on every one of these colors, there's a, there's a spectrum. So you can have light green intimacy with your postal worker when you throw your hand up and wave to your mm-hmm. postal worker. But with your partner, you're going to have a deeper green. Mm-hmm. And so there's that whole continuum. And so with your partner, there is a certain sense of a friendship certain level of enjoying some things together being being there for one another doesn't mean you do everything together doesn't mean you can't have separate interest but it certainly means that there is a certain level of of compatibility and relationship together past that is purple intimacy now let me say that green intimacy is for you can have green intimacy with a lot of different people that friendship 
Once you cross the line over into purple, it very much, if you espouse a monogamous lifestyle, um, it would be for just your partner. And so that would include certainly um, more intimate touching, kissing, um, back rubs, that type of thing without intercourse. What I find for a lot of people is they, they just jump over those two um, the, the green and the purple, and they try to head straight for orange. And orange is the most intimate and does include intercourse, would be more of an, an erotic, erotic lovers. Um, and a lot of times people just jump over there and they haven't laid the foundation for any mm -hmm. true intimacy. So here's the thing, as you age and perhaps sex, you know, if someone has surgery and they aren't able to perform sexually, you know, if all you thought of as being intimate was intercourse, you're gonna, that's gonna really be a, a punch to your gut. But mm -hmm. if you've been putting aside all the time intimacy through your, your level of friendship and relationship with one another through hugs and kisses and that type of thing, then yes, you will miss it, but you will say, oh, I've got these other ways that I can, can connect with him or her. And so that's just important for, for people to recognize. And I think when you leapfrog over those two, you're setting yourself up for potentially a lot of disappointment. Mm. That's really, tell me the name in, of that book and the writer again. Yes, it's um, called Total Intimacy, and the subtitle is A Guide to Loving by Color. I don't think I said that correctly a minute ago. And it's written by Dr. Douglas Rosenau, R-O-S-E-N-A-U, and then um, Dr. Deborah Neal, N-E-E-L. Really it's just a really great, it's an easy little book to read. It's got a few exercises in it that are just a, a great springboard into broadening that definition ways to understand intimacy, connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about the, the difference. And you know, we didn't get into the touching exercises yet. I do wanna, I would do wanna <laughs> get into that. But the other question I have is, let's kind of explore the difference between EFT, which is emotional focus therapy, geared toward attachment, healing attachment, and the work that you do with intimacy. One of the things I really love is to have my couple working with our EFT therapist that we have in our clinic. That way there is that sense of there is, they're working on that attachment. And here's the thing. I, again, I go back to, I wish we could say, well, we're going to do this first, this first, and then this, but it doesn't work that way. And so typically I would be the last one that they would see. And it would be after there had been some of that attachment work done, some of that the repair business healed. And, and I would do that. And, and the way those exercises are laid out are just, they're splendid. Um, they start, the very first one is a foot and hand caress. And I'll have clients kind of balk at that and go, that doesn't have anything to do with sex. But this is what we're doing. We're, we're working on broadening that definition, but also we're giving them the opportunity to do something together. And then we're gonna talk about it afterwards and look at the uh, hiccups that might have happened. Like maybe he was doing it and uh, he was doing it, rubbing her foot too hard or, or too light and she didn't like it. Well, I want her in that exercise and, and there's all these guidelines that we go over with. I want her to have the freedom to say, 
do you mind changing the way that you're touching my, my foot? Um, because first of all, he can't read her mind. And secondly, I want her to be paying attention to what she likes. And so we start, when they come in, I'll say, okay, how did that go? And we'll say, well, there was this issue where this happened. And, and I told her that I didn't like the way, you know, I needed her to, to touch me lighter. And I'll say, well, ask her, what was that like for you when he told you that? Mm -hmm. And give her the opportunity to say, well, you know, it might have been triggering for her or it might have been, he might've said it in a way that was easy for her to receive and accept influence for him. And she could just continue right, right along. So we're looking for those things. There's 31 exercises in all that we do. Some mm. of them are very clinical. It's interesting to me because so many people get uh, snared by pornography when they're very young. And it's almost like their sex life gets stuck right there. So there's a lot of individuals who anatomically are ignorant, who don't understand certain things. And so there are exercises that um, explore that. Throughout the 31 exercises, there's five or six exercises where they actually talk about things. So there's questionnaires about their past. There's questionnaires that kind of tap into that romance part, like the first time I saw you. Um, or when I first met you, or when I think about us in 10 years, those type of exercises that get them into the relationship, talking about, you know, what they, what they've had in the past and what they envision for their future. Hmm. I want, I want to just address something that was just, I, I love this slowing it down process because as you gave the example of pornography, it's rush, rush, rush. What's next? Fast stimuli. Go, 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 go. What uh, John Gottman calls super, uh, what is it? super normal, or super. Or there's a term for it, but it, but it's it's it, it's it's not possible. The mm -hmm. intensity in which the pornographic images are coming. So so this process of slowing everything down, mm -hmm. even the question of paying attention to what your partner likes. Uh, and then, then paying attention to yourself. With a betrayed client, many times their mind is thinking about what are they thinking about? What's my partner thinking about? Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're redirecting that to self to say, what feels good to me? Mm -hmm. Really important step there because now you're getting them to attune to their own minds, their own bodies, rather than this fast paced or this fear based feeling of what is my partner thinking about? And really just what is it that I'm experiencing here? So again, this is a really valuable step because you're helping people really hone in on what's, what's really um, great sexuality. Mm -hmm. I, this is good. This, this conversation is really good. Um, you know, I think when, and you know, pornography addiction, even just that aside, we seem so detached from our own bodies. How does my body feel? You know, there's a, you know, um, I have a background in yoga and meditation. And we often say we, you know, sometimes we live from the neck up. That's what we talk about in our meditations is living from the neck up. Everything's in my head. Everything's in my brain. And when we slow it down and say, what's going on in your chest? What's going mm -hmm. on in your guts? How do your legs feel? 
and that becomes a stumbling like uh hmm, i'm not sure you know waking up to my own body what my own body desires or likes and doesn't like and then also like you said giving your partner the opportunity to share what they like don't like and then give feedback to how you are touching and and being with each other and that can be a very sensitive um vulnerable space karen so tell us a little bit about how to protect that space so we can make it a safe sure and so all of these exercises are very prescriptive so we go over everything at the very beginning so they come in for session and we decide who's going to initiate and depending on their schedules we kind of look at their calendar to see when these events are going to take place to kind of help them the person who initiates sets the atmosphere and sometimes if there's children in the home they might want to send their children over to a friend's house or you know they make plans this is planned and part of these lessons and i'm not saying people can't have really good spontaneous sex i would never want to take that out of the picture but what i do want them to see is that the intentionality behind that intimacy has to be you know has to be online for them they have to want that it's not going to just happen and so knowing that it's just not going to fall down out of the sky and I have people, I do have people that- Can I interrupt? Sorry, <laughs> I have a question. Um, what does that intentionality do for both partners? What I believe and what I see that it does is it says to that partner that this part of our relationship is other than I have with anyone else. It is sacred, it is special to the two of us, and I'm gonna make it a priority. And so that's, and so what that does is just, it keeps that energy, sexual energy under control is creative energy. And so it just has a, a beautiful way of that relationship flourishing. And again, it's that intentionality piece. And I'll ask clients, they'll say, well, I just want it to be spontaneous. And I'll say, are you spontaneous? Do you just kind of hope your children are going to turn out all right? Or are you intentional about your parenting? Mm -hmm. and they'll go, well, I'm, I'm intentional. What about your finances? Are you intentional about your finances? Or well, just spontaneous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so helping them to see that anything that's important to them, they make it a priority. And again, not mm -hmm. to take away from spontaneity, there's a place for that. And I, I think that's a lovely thing, but also making it a point to um, have the other priority. Not to say that, that, that the relationship can't ebb and flow, but they always know how to circle back around and reconnect. Wow. Any other thoughts? Doc, I see you there kind of. Yeah, so that idea of intentionality, um, if we really understood it, it, it really is more purpose-filled living. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if a person, let's go the other direction there if i don't if i'm willy-nilly with my children don't really care if i'm willy-nilly with my finances don't really care i i could just as easily be willy-nilly about sexuality and not care right so so i can be in chaos and it feels constantly chaotic which means maybe i'm used to intensity i'm used to conflict i'm used to tension 
in contrast with what Karen's suggesting here is a structure, right? When we have structure, we actually simplify our brains. We, we simplify this mind of ours because it doesn't have to guess what's next. It, it actually understands it. When we're in chaos, the slightest thing can throw us off, right? right? So you could be in financial chaos and up comes a pandemic. Now, now your chaos is no longer even able to be structured because you're already in a place where chaos throws you over the end, over the edge. So, so the value of structure is there's plans and it's intentionally living. And that actually helps our minds and our bodies relax. Structure actually does that for us. It does it for our children. It does it for us financially. And what Karen's suggesting about even our human intimacy is it's intentionally understanding each other in a much more deep and profound way. Mm, this Great. is an interesting concept. Oh, sorry, Karen. I'm just thinking about what you said, Doc, um, about structure. And then what Karen's saying about this retraining of our intimacy and how structure creates um, a place to be relaxed. And then Karen used the word creativity with intimacy and retraining. And just very interesting concepts here around our sexuality. I think as a culture, we are taught that sex and sexuality and intimacy is spontaneous. That's the best way to move forward in that direction, right? But here we're learning, seeing something different. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if we were to add to that, a person trapped in addiction, their, inten their intensity, not intentionality, but their intensity actually goes hand in hand with addiction. So learning to become more intentional actually gets them more focused on themselves rather than what's, where's the next high, where's the next high, where's the next high. Slowing down actually connects them to a human being, not a sexual experience. And that's, that's a significant shift to healthy sexuality, which some people say, well, that's boring. No, if you heard Karen, she's not talking boring there. Mm -hmm. She's talking stimulating, exciting, arousing, curiosity. Mindful. Mm -hmm. yeah, mindful intimacy. Yeah. And, and if we do it right, then healthy relationships is a byproduct. Sexual, that sexuality is a byproduct of the healthy relationship. Yeah, and I suppose even Karen, sorry, no. go ahead, Karen. No, you go no ahead. along the lines of what he was um, talking about, and uh, I don't know if, if your watchers are familiar with the website Truth About Porn. There's an interview there with Dr. John Fobert at Oklahoma State, and he talks about um, that they've done MRIs on men looking at pornography, and what lights up in the brain is the part of the brain that recognizes objects. And so because, the, and that's where the whole objectification of people comes from, and these exercises bring around that human component. This is a human being that has preferences, that has desires, um, and it gives them again a corrective experience because so many times they've leapfrogged over that friendship piece, that, um, that purple intimacy that I was talking about that can include kissing and hugging, and they've just gone straight to sex. They don't even know this other part. I mean, I have couples that come to me and they don't even kiss, and he's frustrated that she has no desire. And I'm like, well, let's talk about where desire comes in for a woman anyway. Typically, it's not on the front end. Can be, 
but usually it's a little bit further down the road for her. And so just that educational piece as well is important in this work. Wow. Additional thoughts, Doc? I love the conversation. I think, I think the only other thought I would really add to this is in the beginning after discovery of sexual betrayal, this is not the conversation. Mm-hmm. This is the conversation as we pointed out. And I just want to say this again, because so many times people are like, well, we want to get back sexually. Well, slow down here. We have to deal with individual trauma and addiction. And as we work on our individual recovery, this part is really the a final stage of really having meaningful connection and bonding. And this is the, this in my mind is like, this is the icing on the cake of recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to put it in a sequence of times because many times with people with um, just discovering this, they want to be sexual, but in truth, they might not be ready to connect sexually. It might be premature. Now, not that they can't be sexual, but it won't be as deep as we're, as we're talking here. Mm-hmm. You know, along those lines, I just can't help but think about that time from discovery until they reach and talk with someone like Karen in the therapy room. What, how can we care for our sexuality in that chaotic time frame? I mean, I know we're working with therapists and other groups and trying to figure out, untangle it all. But really, what kind of advice would you give someone who hasn't gotten to that point yet? So for me, when I'm working with them, especially um, early on, and if there's addiction and we've pulled sex off the table to do a 90 day fast, we're going to start talking about the, the friendship piece. I mean, I want them to certainly start staying, getting connected because here's the thing. We talk about the opposite of addiction being sobriety, but truly the opposite of addiction is genuine connection. And so first of all, that's helping them learn to be connected to themselves and um, then to certainly with their partner. They have children learning to have genuine connection with their children. And so we're gonna, and again, work on that broadening, that definition. That's what I think of in that study. So like expanding the green that you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. I love this piece where you said really knowing yourself. So even expanding the green in yourself, I suppose, Mm -hmm. you know, expanding the green in your, with your partner, your children, other people that you're close with. Healthy people make healthy relationships. So that green, if, if that's the color, I just wish you would put purple at the end. That just happens to be my favorite color. So, but you need so, to know orange is his favorite color. So that's <laughs> <laughs> So I I would have done it uh, green, orange, purple, but I'll go yeah. with the, because the concepts the concepts really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good concept. You know, Karen, I think we'll wrap up here, but um, tell me, you know, any, any additional final thoughts you have that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, one of the things I guess that I hear a lot is early on in that process of addiction recovery, there is a sense of hopelessness, particularly I see early on with the spouses and the despair that they feel and the confusion because in many ways they have acted maybe in sexual ways when it was like dr skinner was talking about their body was saying no 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 and so even just you know that self-compassion piece that is so huge 
and just life in general. And in, in uh, Kristen Neff, who talks about self-compassion, one of the things she really emphasizes is the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. And self-esteem means that I'm comparing myself to this person over here and this person and um, self-compassion, you're not comparing yourself to anybody. You're just treating yourself the way you would treat another person. And so I think when I think of the work that we, done, we do, I think of self-compassion also as being foundational in the recovery work of both of the partners. Yeah, it well, is. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here with you all today. You're welcome. And thank you, Doc. Mm. Yeah, just one final thought I have is, uh, you know, Karen is really delightful to talk to. And so we've actually invited her to do a a part of a couple's recovery class. So to our listeners who have been listening today, um, we at Adult Recovery, Bloom for Women, Path for Men, we decided that there's such a significant need for couple reintegration, learning how to rebuild trust, rebuild a relationship. And, and so we've invited Karen to do a course with us, which we've already recorded. And in the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be launching this course. It's a 12-week course for couples. They're healing the recovery process. Uh, and Karen and I have been working on that. So I just want to let them know, let our listeners know, hey, this is coming soon. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, those individuals who would like to really rebuild the trust and reclaim the relationship to have them join us. This is huge. I think um, I think this is a missing component. Many of us don't get to that point or we don't know what to do. So this will be just amazing. And do you have a time frame on that? You know when that's well, coming Well, I can tell you that it's already been recorded. Uh, I'm, in fact, in the next few minutes, I'm going to be doing a little bit of more filming to finish it up. Um, and, and we will be launching it. My guess is uh, we'll be doing it in the middle to end of June and starting in July, we'll be ready to roll. So anyway, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Karen's in some great classes and, uh, she and I was talking about the content just a few, a couple months ago and, and working through it. And anyway, I'm really excited for those, uh, many times we get couples who are just stuck. They really don't mm-hmm. know where to mm-hmm. turn. Uh, and, and really in particular, the relationship, they might work on sobriety. They might work on the recovery and the healing process but they still don't know how to integrate themselves relationally. And that's really what this course is about. It's helping them reintegrate relationally, reconnect uh, if, if that's their desire and uh, help them form a better bond and relationship. Well, we're excited to hear more from you, Karen, and more from you, Dr. Skinner. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So to our LoveRoyce 2.0 listeners, you know, self-compassion, we send it out this week. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.